prayer part two. And it's going to be a three-part sermon, by the way. I, just, I, I can tell you right now, we're not going to get through this morning. Uh, take your Bibles again and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We started last week with looking at how we should pray and looking at Jesus' instructions on how we should pray. And for those of you that may not have been here last week, we're looking at what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, here lately, many have called it the model prayer because this was the model that Jesus gave us to pray by. He did not say, pray this prayer. He says, pray in this way. So he's giving us instructions on how we should pray. And he starts out there, we're going to read that again in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, pray then in this way. I think I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. This is not a prayer to be repeated over and over again. This is it's much like saying the word abracadabra over and over again doesn't accomplish anything. This is how we should pray. This should be the focus of our prayer and structure our prayer as we go through it. And he says, start out this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remember who you're praying to. We're not praying to some God that we do not know or understand. I don't think I said this last week, but it, in, the, in the world today, in today's society, there are so many misunderstandings about who God truly is that we as His children, we as His followers, need to be very clear on who we are praying to. Because a lot of people just pray to God saying, well, maybe there's something out there. Or maybe it's the destiny of the universe. Or maybe it's she. There's that going on out there as well. Or there are many gods, so hopefully one of them will hear this when I pray. I, you know, I, this is this, one, of, one of my pet peeves. I don't have a lot, but I have a few. Um, is when I see people, and I, don't, I do not watch award shows. That is not, I really don't care who won what. That doesn't imp what. What we award people for is really not important. So it, I just, I'm not a big award show person. But, but the times I've seen them, you'll see people come up at the academies, the, the Oscars, the Tonys, the whatever awards. And, and many of them will say, well, I want to thank God. And yet if you look at their life and you look at the way they live, if you look at the movies or the music that they produce, you know they're not talking about the God that we believe in. Because nothing in their life follows the Bible and God's commandments and God's instructions. Uh, you see that with professional athletes a lot of times. They will get score a touchdown, hit a home run, and they'll point to heaven and, and you're like, oh, thank you, God, for that, like God really cared about that touchdown or that home run. Sorry, well, that's a whole other argument that we can get into. But they'll, oh, thank you, God. And yet, you again, you look at their lifestyle and you see little resemblance to a follower of God in what they do and how they live. And yet, oh, thank you, God. Now, I... When I do see people talk about Jesus, uh, many times, then if you begin to examine their life, a lot of times you will find fruit in their life that seems like they are followers of Jesus. But if they just randomly refer to God, they, they may just be talking to nothing up there. They may not even believe in God, but they know that can be popular sometimes with certain people, and so that's how they refer to Him. So 
Jesus is saying when you pray, understand that you're praying to your Father God who is in heaven, who is to be honored and revered. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I said this last week. God's kingdom is meant to exist here in this world. We, we need to stop waiting for heaven to come. We need to stop looking for Jesus to return and realize that he's already here. He's in us. The Bible tells us that when we become followers of his, that God places a part of himself, the Holy Spirit, in our lives who indwells us to guide us, direct us, rebuke us, correct us. That, that he's in us. And so as long as we're here, God's here. His kingdom is of this world, not just the next. Now, yes, there is going to come a time when God is going to return in all of his glory and remake heaven and earth. Yes, that's going to happen. When is that going to happen? No one knows. The Bible is clear on that, that no one knows the date or the time. So we need to quit worrying about that the finality of when it's all going to happen, and focus on the here and now and bringing God's kingdom into this world where it's supposed to be. And we have lost that focus many times. Well, how do we know what God's kingdom is? How, how, do, we, how do we see God's kingdom in this world? Well, Jesus told a parable over in Matthew chapter 13, so I want you to turn over there. And he gave an explanation of that. And well, I'm going to tell you the parable and then we're going to go to the passage of Scripture that refers to how Jesus explained it to his disciples. But, but Jesus said that there was a man who was a farmer, and he had prepared a field. He'd gotten it ready for the, the seed to be sown in. And so he, he sent his workers out, and they, they sowed the seed, the, the good wheat, the good grain. They were, they were ready to reap a harvest. So they went out and sowed this field that had been prepared. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus said that while they were sleeping, that an enemy, the man's enemy, came and sowed tares in the field overnight. Now, a tear, we're not really sure what that is. Um, some of your Bibles may have a note that says, and it refers to darnel, which is a weed that was common in the area, that when it begins to sprout and grow, looks a lot like wheat. So that's what it, we've always assumed that these tares are but it was a weed it was something that was not going to be good for the field it was something that was not going to uh, increase the produce of the field it was something to take away from what the farmer had sown so his enemy sows tares in the field and it's the bible says that that as it sprouted and as the wheat grew up and bore grain then the tares became evident also notice that that as the wheat sprouted grew up and bore grain, then the tares became evident. Remember that. That's going to be crucial here in just a moment. And so when they became aware of the tares in the field, his men came to him and said, what, what are we to do? There's tares in your field. Didn't you sow good seed? And he said, I did. An enemy has done this. And his men said, what do we do? You want us to go out and pull up the tares? You want us to go through the field and, and, and find the tares and pull them up? And, and the master said, no. No, don't do that, because if you do that, you might damage the wheat while you're ripping up the tares. Instead, he says, let it grow. And he says, I will, tear, I will tell those who harvest, the reapers, 
to go first and gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. And then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. So Jesus told this parable about the kingdom of God. And his disciples, you know, his disciples were a lot like us. They weren't real bright. No reaction to that? Either you didn't get that or you're not real bright. Um, We're not. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We think we know so much more than we do. We think we've got it all figured out. But the truth is, we still struggle today to understand everything that Jesus taught. And his disciples were no different. And so they weren't sure about this parable. What, what, is, it, what is the wheat? What is the tares? Who, who's the enemy? Who, who's the sower? And so they were asking for an explanation. And that's where we want to look at the scripture in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 36. Then he, Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus said that the story referred to this world. And the good seed were those who belong in the kingdom of God. Those who sprout and take root and grow up and bear fruit, but the tares are those sown by the evil, those who are lawless, those who are stumbling blocks, is what he said. Now, I want you to notice some very important things in this parable. The first is this, that as they are growing, you cannot tell the tares and the wheat apart. Go back to the, the parable itself. It says that In the parable itself, it says that in verse 26, but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain. See, as it was growing in the field, the wheat and the tares looked just alike. You could not tell them apart. But it wasn't until the fruit was being born. It wasn't until the harvest was getting close. It wasn't until you saw the grain begin to come out of the wheat that you realize there's something else out there besides wheat. And that's when they discovered the tares. It's the same way in this world. As Jesus explained, the wheat is the sons of his kingdom. Those who are part of his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of us who are followers of Jesus, all of us who have given our lives to him and are following him and his commandments and his teaching and are spreading his word, we are are wheat in the field of this world. We are children of his kingdom. 
But there are people beside us, there are people all around us who look like us, many who act like us, but they are not part of God's kingdom. They are hares, they are weeds in this world. So how do we, how do we tell them apart? Jesus, Jesus showed us. He, he gave us the example when they bore fruit. Other places throughout the Gospels, Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the fruit that they bear. My disciples will produce fruit. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again today. Fruit of a Christian's life isn't going to church. Sorry, that's not a fruit. That is a... I started to say that's an obligation, but that, would be, that wouldn't quite be right. I started to say that that's a command, because it is commanded of us that we, that we assemble ourselves together. But really, that's not quite right either. Going to church is an opportunity for growth in our lives. See, the Bible tells us that when we assemble ourselves together, we are to encourage one another to love and good deeds. We, we're... We come together as Christians to be an encouragement to one another so that we can go out and be the people that God wants us to be, so that we can go out and bear fruit in this world. So coming to church is something that Christians do, but it's something also anyone can do. The fruit of a Christian's life is not reading your Bible. Matter of fact, I can name hundreds of people you want to go through history, thousands of people who have read and studied the Bible, but who were not followers of Jesus. Do you, do you realize that Jesus is talked about in the Koran and that many Muslims will read the Bible as well, the parts they want to read? But Muslims, if they do not choose to follow Jesus, are not part of God's kingdom. Uh, the Mormons and the Book of Mormon, many of them read the Bible. And the Book of Mormon refers to Jesus. And so they go to the Bible and they take those portions of, that they, they want to use. And, and they read the Bible and they study the Bible. But unless they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, who died on the cross, who is God in the flesh, then they're not, they're not part of God's kingdom. And there's many other groups you can go through. You can go through many Christian groups. Let's, let's not go outside the church. Let's stay within the Christian church. And there are many who are in the church today who go to church, read their Bible, maybe get on their knees and pray, maybe are involved in some ministry in the church, but they're still not followers of Jesus. Because you can go be a part of a group anytime you want to. So when, when Jesus talks about fruit, sorry, I put it up with as long as I can. <clears throat> When Jesus goes and, and talks about fruit, bearing grain, what, what is he referring to? Well, I referred to it last week. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Now, that's not all of them. I don't think Paul was giving us a, an, an all-encapsulating list that covers everything. But he was giving us some of the things that are evident in the life of a believer if they are a follower of Jesus. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You will see those in people's lives who follow Jesus. Now, hear this and hear it well. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are, have given your life to Jesus, those things will be in evidence in your life. You, maybe not all the time. Right? We still struggle with the flesh. As long as we're in this world, we, we still struggle with the flesh and, and, and we still do things we're not supposed to. But within us as believers, as we are growing in our faith, as we're becoming disciples of Jesus, you will begin to see evidence of those fruits in our lives. Self-control. I have a whole series of sermons. i got too many series. i got a series I haven't preached yet, but I really want to. I hope I get to uh, about fruits of the Spirit. I believe there's an order to which they, God will produce them in our lives. And, and, and I believe the first one that is produced in us as a brand new Christian, just now born again, is self-control. We, we, we learn, and it's really not self-control, it's God-control. It, it's saying when I, when I come to a situation and I get an opportunity to react to something, I can either act like me or I can act like God. I can either be me or be Jesus. And self-control means I choose I choose to act like Jesus. Because no one can make you do anything if you have self-control. And yet I see so many people in the world today who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of God, who exhibit no self-control at, at all. They do what they want, when they want, how they want, they act like they want, and they, and they say, well, I believe in Jesus. I'm like, you know what? James said it best. Even the demons believe in Jesus and tremble, but they do not belong to him. Believing in the existence of Jesus does not make you a follower of Jesus. I believe in the existence of the planet Mars, but I don't live there. And I'm not going to live there. I believe in a lot of things out there in the world that they exist, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go do them. I believe that caves are real. Did you know that? That there are caves in this world? I know that shocks some of you. You've never heard that before. There are caves out there in the world. That's a true fact. And I believe in the existence of that. But you will never see me spelunking. That's a fancy word for going in a cave. You know why? I don't like caves. I ain't lost anything in them. I'm not looking for anything in them, so I'm not going in them. Don't like caves. The only way I'll ever go in a cave if something I love deeply gets lost in the cave and I have to go retrieve it. So Michelle and Nathaniel are forbidden to go in caves. I'm not sure I'd go after any of you, the rest of you, if you were lost in a cave. Don't like caves. Give me heights, give me water, give me whatever. I just don't like caves. I'm not going to be picking up any snakes either. I believe in the existence of snakes. I believe the Bible says in Mark 16 that they will pick up servants, serpents, and they will not be harmed. 
but Jesus didn't tell me to do it, so I'm not going to. He didn't say they had to, he said they would. He didn't say we had to do that. See, just because I believe in the existence of something doesn't mean I follow it, that I'm impassioned by it. So there are a lot of people who say, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, isn't that enough? No, it's not. He says, my sons, my children will produce fruit. And if they produce no fruit, look what he says there in verse 41. If they produce no fruit, he says he is going to send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. See, all of those people who claim to be followers but are not are stumbling blocks for those who are seeking to be a part of God's kingdom. Have you ever, had, have you ever seen a field of wheat, corn, soybeans, whatever, and have you ever noticed those fields when there was a lot of weeds in them? I'm sure all of you, being in, this being an agriculture community, you've seen that. You've seen it in your gardens. Maybe you've seen it in your yards. That if you don't control the weeds, you just let them grow and run rapid, that if you go out into a cornfield and you go into an area that is full of weeds and you pull back the shuck and you look at the ear of corn, you will notice that the ear of corn is never as full as it could be. You know why? Because the weeds are taking away water and nutrients and things that the corn needs to fully produce. But if you go to those areas of the field where there are no weeds and the corn is there with itself and it's growing itself, if you go into those areas and pull back the shuck, you will see ears of corn that are full and that are vibrant if they've had water and nutrients like they're supposed to have. Christians, who are you surrounding yourself with? Take a moment and think about that. If you are a follower of Jesus, that means you are part of his kingdom in this world, and you are either good wheat that is to produce fruit, or your tares. And if you're good wheat, who are you hanging out with? Are you with the other wheat? Or are you with the tares? And sometimes I have believers come to me and they say, I can't understand why God is not working in my life. I can't understand why, why things are happening in my life that, that things are just falling apart. I can't get a grasp on it. I can't understand and if you, they begin to look at their life, and if I, a lot of them don't come talk to me because I tell them the truth, and I begin to look at their life and say, who are you hanging with? What are you surrounding yourself with? If you're hanging out with the weeds, guess what? You're not going to produce a lot of good fruit. They'll say, I have a problem with self-control and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and peace and love and patience and, and all those fruits of spirit. I don't have those in my life. Why not? Because you're out with the weeds. You're out with the tares. And guess what? The tares aren't going to produce good fruit. And you may be better than them, but you're not what God intended you to be. And so many Christians today are weak and anemic in their spiritual life because they are so immersed in the weeds of this world. And until... They remove the weeds from around them. They will never produce the fruit that God intends for them to produce. 
they'll never have the things in their life that God intends for them to have. Because they're with the wrong plants. The Bible did say for us to assemble ourselves together. Why? So we can grow. So we can produce fruit. So my question this morning for you is this. What are you? Are you wheat? Or are you weed? Are you wheat? Or are you weed? Because if you're a weed, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you act. Until you are transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ through His salvation into wheat, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. So you have to give your life to Christ first before you can ever bear fruit. And if you're not a weed, but you're a wheat this morning, how much fruit are you bearing? Are you producing self-control and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and kindness and patience and peace and joy and love? Are, you, are those being produced in your life? If you say, well, not really. Well, then if you are a follower of Christ, if you are weak and they're not there, where are you getting your nutrients from? Who are you hanging out with? Because wheat cannot produce great fruit when it's hanging with the weeds and not getting the good stuff from God. So those are the two questions. Are you wheat or weed? And if you're weak, are you hanging where you need to?